Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today I'm going to take you to a conversation that Pastor Daniel Grothy and I had with Bree Stensrud. Uh, Bree's been a part of our congregation for many years. Her and her husband, Josh, are faithful folks. And Bree, born and raised in the conservative evangelical world, always had a heart uh, for the unborn, the vulnerable. She's been an advocate in the pro-life movement for a lot of years. But the Lord took her on a journey several years ago that really helped her understand how dealing well with the stranger at our gates, the issue of immigration, is part of what it means to have a consistent and biblical pro-life ethic. She's written a book called Start With Welcome, The Journey Toward a Confident and Compassionate Immigration Conversation which is available for pre-order through Zondervan uh, in November, and then it releases in February. And we brought Brie in just to have a conversation about her journey, what she learned on that journey, how she thinks about the issue of immigration, which is such a hot topic and in many ways a polarizing topic among people in our country, say nothing of the church itself. But she gives us really wonderful biblical foundations for thinking about it, and then also some practicals for thinking about how we can be consistent in our pro-life ethic. It was a wonderful conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further commentary from me, here's to the interview. Today, I am so happy because we have a friend in the house. Bree Stensrud has been a friend of mine for a good long time. She is married to an absolute stallion, Josh, played college football at Iowa State. He's, he's a banker. He's a man of God, a pillar in our community, and she's raising a great husband. Bree <laughs> is, is um, the mother of two children. We, as families, have celebrated together on an adoption journey with their boy, Mac, who is just delightful. Their daughter, Josie, is this life-giving soccer player, competitor, uh, and and we've also wept bitter tears uh, at the loss of loved ones. And so this is a true friend that's mm-hmm. here today, and we trust her. And she's just written this incredible book. And so, Bree, I know you to be someone who has been on a journey of discovering what does it mean to be pro-life from womb to tomb, right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. You've gone on a journey of paying attention to the, the, the cries of the hurting, um, not just in the womb, of course in the womb, um, but the elderly, the immigrant, the poor, uh, the, the racially marginalized. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about how did, you, uh, how did you start this journey and how's it played out over the last decade of your life? Yeah, I mean, I started probably like a lot of other evangelical kids growing up in the churches. Is you're a pro-life people, and mm-hmm. you participate in the marches, and you go to the mm-hmm. rallies, and you you know do the fun runs and all of those things. And but when I got older, I started kind of traveling around the country, and I was kind of hired to be in the movement and attend the march in D.C. and you know, and then I started traveling around the country about talking about adoption and recruiting families for kids who had been languishing in foster care. And Mm. so that was Mm. my job. That was what I was paid to do. And so, you know, adoption and abortion kind of go hand in hand in Mm -hmm. some ways, not always, but in some ways. And so that was just kind of my life. And then when I took some time away from my professional career to adopt our son, Mm. I was invited to go to Oaxaca, Mexico for five days and just forget everything behind and just hear some stories of some very vulnerable people on the other side of the border. And I'm a pastor's kid. I've been on 
dozens of Your mission trips. Life. Like this, I'm this is I was thinking, you know, this might just be like another trip. But I came home wrecked mm. in a way that I couldn't explain. And I was very noticeably different to my friends mm. and to my husband and to and my faith just felt really funky. Mm-hmm. And I was just totally disassociated from a lot of the narratives that I had heard, even just in church and mm. politically and culturally. And it was all just kind of, it felt very fuzzy to me. The slogans weren't working anymore? No, just the really trite things that we all say and grow up with. And what what I really started to get to was is our lack of proximity to people in pain. Mm. And that we were just taking what people were saying and just parroting it and just repeating it instead of actually getting in closer proximity to people. Mm. We were just parroting these phrases that really didn't do justice to what was happening in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I then kind of went on this biblical journey of what does it really mean to be pro-life? And of course, you know, the same things, what I found was the same things that really anchor me in the preborn space are the mm-hmm. same things mm-hmm. that would anchor me in every other human dignity space, starting with Genesis 1, 26 and 27, mm-hmm. how we're all made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And we all have immeasurable worth. So if we're all made by the Creator, we all have this God-given potential to create and to show up well and to have goodness inside of us. And so things just get really fuzzy when you actually start listening and trying mm. to do what God says about loving other people as you love yourself, mm. not only because I made that, that person is made in the image and likeness of God, but because Jesus mandates it. Okay, so you you detail sort of a moment where you were accosted by the Lord. <laughs> you go to Oaxaca thinking mm-hmm. it's in a five-day trip. I've been on trips. I know yeah. trips. Yeah. Something happened. Yes. What do you remember? Give us a little extract out of that moment. And, and in the next six months, you got taken over by the oh, Spirit yeah. of the Lord. What happened to you? I mean, I think when you go into places of poverty and places of pain, you think, and I mean, the evangelical culture that you know we all have grown up in is like, we're taking God to these mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. Like wherever we're mm-hmm. going, we're taking God with us. And the truth is, is that God is already there. Mm-hmm. And so it's about finding him in these really painful, chaotic spaces and saying, no, God really does still exist in pain. And so I'm looking for these moments, and yet I was hit by like this train. I went to this unaccompanied minor shelter, this gov- you know, the government of Oaxaca. They had a shelter for kids who had been lost or separated from their parents along their journey to the U.S. And mm-hmm. so you, I, I kind of— was getting off the bus. I was with a group of other evangelical leaders, and I was getting off the bus, and I remember holding a lot of judgment. I'm kind of like, who loses their kid? Right. Mm -hmm. My kid can't cross the street without holding Mm -hmm. my hand. So who loses their kid on a journey? Well, I mean, Jesus traveled in a caravan, and he was lost for three days. You know, these are the things that then come to your mind where Jesus is like, hey, I was lost. Mm -hmm. I was lost too. So I show up at the shelter— and we're playing with all the kids, and it's all this women, and we're all trying to be smiley and happy. And I noticed these two girls come out from, you know, their uh, their rooms into the shelter courtyard, and one was 11 and one was 13. They looked young, like my daughter. And they both were carrying little kids on their hips. And I thought, oh, kids taking care of infants. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, they must be siblings. 
And as I stood there and started asking the translator to tell me, like, where are they from? Where Do they know where their mom or dad is, whatnot? It's like the smile just kind of like everything, color, blood, everything just drained to my toes because what I had found out was these mm-hmm. two were holding their own babies. Mm-hmm. And no child, yeah. 11 and 13, chooses to be a mother. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking— what are they doing here without their moms? Mm-hmm. They just had their own babies mm-hmm. without their moms. What's going on? And so it was kind of like the judgment in me was kind of like, something's not right. Stay curious. Stay curious. And so just learning, it's like these two girls have been violated in their own country. Right. And their moms are probably mm-hmm. 28. Yes. Mm-hmm. And their Maybe moms 30, are who fleeing. Who are grandmas. Right. Who are grandmas now. Mm-hmm. And they're fleeing with their mom their moms up from the Northern Triangle at the at that time. And so what do you what do you know about migration? Well, some of us don't know anything about migration. Our migration is to another state for a job where yeah. someone's paying for a moving truck and we've got food and all these things. Yeah. These two young girls are walking with their mom and they're pregnant. They don't have health care. They don't have food. Mm-hmm. They don't have what if these girls deliver on the side of the road? Mm-hmm. What about the baby? Mm-hmm. And so the best thing their moms could have done was to leave them at the shelter yeah. and continue on to try and seek asylum in the U.S. and mm-hmm. send back for them because their daughters would be cared for. Mm-hmm. They'd have health care. The baby would have health care. They would be fed, all mm-hmm. of these things. So immediately we went from like, what kind of mom would do this to mm-hmm. what kind of mom would sacrificially mm-hmm. leave her child who's about to deliver? All of a sudden they're heroes. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, mm-hmm. who am I? Mm-hmm. What am I doing with my life? Brie, help us here. I love, um, I loved your book. I loved your book. I loved it because it was informative in all the ways that it needed to be informative about the conversation, but it was also so biblically rich. You did your homework. Mm-hmm. And um, so the title of the book is Start With Welcome, The Journey Toward a Confident and Compassionate Immigration Conversation. And I think for a lot of evangelicals, the moment they hear the word immigration, they think, okay, this is a political conversation. Yeah. Check your Apple Watch. Your heart rate right, starts right. to go up. <laughs> totally. People are sweating. Stand and walk. <laughs> totally. And we wonder. Yep. And we imagine all the lines in the sand that are drawn and we're trying to figure out where we stand and where you stand and who you're aligned with. And But this is a biblical issue. It's a discipleship issue. Can you talk about how since that moment in Oaxaca, what the Lord has taught you biblically and theologically about what it means for us to welcome the stranger at the gates. You know, we all have scripture memorized and like just intact in our brains. And just mm-hmm. because, I mean, if you've ever read that book, you know, misreading scripture with Western eyes, mm-hmm. you just think, Whew, what am I missing about scripture? And you just think about all these stories of people journeying and traveling and migrating and going where God tells them to or fleeing because of war or persecution. And you don't think in those terms when you're reading the Bible, especially mm-hmm, as a mm-hmm, kid. Mm-hmm. And so those things just get lodged in you and you just kind of just keep going and kind of parroting scripture without actually thinking about the human toll that yeah. that takes on people. So again, just kind of making that connection from just like a traditional pro-life sense of just being about the preborn and how it's actually more connected. It's it's like it's a continuum, mm-hmm. really. And all these human dignity issues are such a web. And then you think about how in scripture, you know, <laughs> in scripture, Everyone is talking about, okay, well, there's some sort of vulnerable population that we should be uplifting. And in America, it's like the preborn child gets a lot of the attention, right? It's a very—it's like, we're going to go after this, right? But when you look at Scripture, you're really hard-pressed to find justification to elevate one vulnerable population over another. And 
um, honestly, in the Old Testament, when we think about mm-hmm. what the Bible says about immigrants and refugees or just sojourners, the word ger is a Hebrew word. It's mm-hmm. used over 90 times in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different translations say that it's the sojourner or the stranger or the foreigner. It's all the same thing. It's this idea of a resident foreigner Mm -hmm. in a land that's not their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Nicholas Walserstorff is a philosopher Mm -hmm. and theologian, and um, he had this idea of the quartet of the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. it was that it was the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, and the poor. And Mm -hmm. Tim Keller liked it so much that he used it in one of his Mm -hmm. books, Mm -hmm. just talking about who did God really elevate and want his people to take care of Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. And it was this quartet of the vulnerable. And so much so that he created and mandated systems and laws to protect them, right? It was such a kind of a, you survived by working the land and having land. And if you were a widow, you didn't get the pass down, you know, and if you're an orphan, you had no rights, nothing. You're a sojourner, you had no land. Um, Leave the edges of your field. Leave the edges of your field. Make the same law for yourself as you would for the native born. Those kinds, do not mistreat a foreigner. And so you have these mandates in Old Testament scripture for God to care God's people to care for the sojourner. And then you move to the New Testament, and God just kind of like levels the playing field with Jesus and his ministry, not only with who he met with and who he walked and talked with, but also what he said in Matthew, you know, 14 and 15 when the crowds were approaching him. They just kept coming. And mind you, like in Matthew 14, when the crowds keep coming to God, John the Baptist was just murdered. Right. And so that's like the passage right before him talking about speaking on the Sea of Galilee. And Mm -hmm. his cousin was just murdered. And I think in America, we're like, we have so much stuff to fix here. Like Mm. Jesus' disciples were like (laughs) bittering, infighting, who are we doing what? You know, the zealot versus the tax collector, all these, he had the spectrum in his Mm -hmm. family. And then, so he had a lot of cleanup to do just in his own 12, right? And then he had John, his cousin, just been murdered. And so you just think— His world is in a tailspin. It's just like everything that's his community, his thing, is not right in order. And yet the crowds continue to come. And I feel like here we are in America, Mm. and everyone's like, America first. Mm. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see America first in the Bible. I don't see (laughs) Africa, Mexico, Israel. I don't see any of that first language. Mm-hmm. What I see is people yep. first, because when the lawyer comes up to try and trip up God yep. and say, what is the greatest commandment? As if, you know, he had a non-neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's basically asking Jesus, who do I have? Can yeah, I exclude? Right. And Jesus is like, no, it's me. And then everybody else. Yeah. It's like he know? shifts it. It's like, it's not who is my neighbor. It's like you be a neighbor and yeah. the whole world everybody is your neighborhood. Is like neighbor. you're called to welcome everybody. I wonder if you can shed some light on this. I I so appreciate that you talked about the Old Testament and God's mandate to his people in the Old Testament. And I think what I've always been struck by when I've read those texts is how often God links that command back to like, remember to treat these people well, because you need to remember where you came from. You were slaves. Mm -hmm. You also were slaves. You were strangers. Like you were refugee people. Mm -hmm. And you called out to me and I helped you and I settled you in a place. So don't ever forget where you came from. Mm -hmm. But then he also, and this is so striking to me, he will tie their future. Mm -hmm. To it, if you treat mistreat these people, yes. you will quickly perish from the land that I've given you. Mm-hmm. So, like so much of the ethical depth of Israel's life hinges on how they treat the gar, you know, how they treat the the stranger at their gates. It's so obvious to me in Scripture, having read it now for all these years. I just wonder if you could speak to how did this drop off the map for evangelicals, yeah. or to maybe because for a lot of evangelicals, it's not just that it's off the map. It's actually become like 
if you sign up for this, mm-hmm. yes, a it's, a si- it's a sign that you've become liberal or progressive yeah. or woke or something like that. Do you have any insight on how we got there as a movement? Jesus. Yeah. Because we're Bible we people do. in theory. <laughs> <laughs> we do. I mean, I think it's important for Christians to think about this issue as a biblical issue because right. every issue that we're taking on that deals with humanity is usually a biblical issue. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is we've we've got a lot of fears around this issue, yeah. and it's important to acknowledge what people fear. Sure. But we also are told so many times in Scripture to do not fear. Mm-hmm. And we also, you know, it's just so interesting because, you know, when Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount and the crowds keep coming, it's so interesting to me because when He sees the crowds coming after all this, the murder and all this happening with the disciples, He's mm-hmm. exhausted, He's weary, He's tired. And the Bible says he had compassion on them. And then the very next chapter in chapter 15 does it again. He had compassion on them. And, you know, the disciples are just trying to, like, alleviate some of this burden. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, it's late, Jesus. You're tired. This is a desolate place. Mm -hmm. We should send everybody away into Mm -hmm. the towns to get food for themselves. And Jesus turns to them, and he looks at me and says, you feed them. You do it. You give them something. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to? What are we supposed to give them? We have nothing. And I feel like Americans mm. say that too. Like yep. we have that we are the most right. rich yeah. nation in the world. What do you mean we have nothing, you know? Yeah. And um so mm. he's like, gather up what you have and put it in my hands. Yeah. And a lot of times I just sit and I wonder if the American church would put what they have in the hands of Jesus, what would he do? If we entrusted all that we have to him, what would he do mm-hmm. through us? Mm-hmm. And um so back to your question, uh-huh. it's just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wonder, you know, we know that people aren't reading their Bible. Study after study uh-huh. says that we're becoming right. more Bible literate and whatnot. But back in 2022, Lifeway Research did this study, and it was with self-identified evangelicals. And so how did we get here? Um, I have all kinds of theories as to how we got there in the mm-hmm. book. But what we know about self-identified evangelicals right now is that 20% of them— said that the Bible was their main influence 20%. on what they thought Jeez. on immigrants or refugees. Only 20% said, so when it's a multiple choice question. So you think in theory, if yeah. Bible is listed, you're right. going to have a yeah, high right. number. Yeah. But no, and you know what the other 80% said? It was media. Mm-hmm. Sure. Media was their main influence. Yeah, how did we get here? We stopped reading the Bible. We stopped reading the Bible. Twitter and is our news feed. <laughs> Twitter yeah. was the news feed. I mean, Whoa. only 30% said that they were encouraged by their church to get close to immigrants, refugees in their own community. Let's see, I wrote down that one. Less than 50% of people, this one is sad, less than 50% think that there is an opportunity to spread the gospel with those who are coming new to our nation. Mm. Less than 50. Whoa. It's a gospel opportunity. Yeah. Um. But 70, this is the encouraging part, is 76% of people in that survey said that they would love to hear a sermon from their pastor about how to apply biblical principles. Isn't that interesting? It's issues. like the preachers have gotten so scared of the issue that we've just stopped. Right. We've stopped talking about well, it's it. Become but it's become so it's, political. Right. Exactly. And there are political implications because we do, you know, in this day and age, especially in America, there's no way to love your neighbor well without getting involved politically totally. in right. some way. Right. Yep. But we're not talking about partisan politics. Right. We're talking about public policy. Yeah. Yeah, and if sure. we can separate the two and just say, all right, I don't have an allegiance to a platform, but right. I have an allegiance to a person. Right. But to this whole, like, you know, welcoming them is a gospel opportunity. Pastor Brady actually turns that on its head, and he says, "Yeah, the only reason the American church has hope right now is because the church of South America and Central America is coming to to us, 
And he said, we have the lampstands and they have the oil. Yeah. We've got the structures. We've got the budgets. We've got the buildings. We've got, we know how to organize the stuff, the lampstand. Yeah. But they are bringing the oil from Central America and South America and, and keeping the lamp burning for the American church. I mean, we've got and the evidence to prove that. Like one of our most vibrant Nueva congregations Vida, here at New Life, Nueva Vida, is a thousand people strong on the weekend. And a lot of them are immigrants and they're coming and they are bringing the oil. Oh, my Lord. And you just think about how everybody in our country is so, like evangelicals are so obsessed with revival. Like we just need right. revival and we're praying <laughs> yeah. for revival. And I'm like, what makes you think you'll be able to recognize it? That's right. What, what, if, makes revi- you think- what if revival was standing at your gates knocking? What if revival was this crowd of people who were desperate for lots of things, you know? And I mean, again, it's not one of the biggest things that was a shock to me when I got into the space is I thought, all right, I'm... I'm going to hear a lot about open borders. I'm going to hear a lot mm-hmm. of like progressive people trying to like lure me in. And I have met with people all over the place. I've talked with both administrations. You're out mm-hmm. all the time, Bree. <laughs> you are talking with everybody mm-hmm. on both sides of the aisle. I mean, you I've are talked working. with the Trump administration. I've yeah. talked with the Biden administration. I've talked with progressives and conservatives. And not once have I ever heard anyone suggest a solution to be open borders. Not once. Yeah. From Anybody, yep. because they know it's not a viable solution. Sure. It's just not possible to do take care of American citizens and also do all this other stuff. It's just not possible. So it's about living in the tension of the both and, mm-hmm. which is where we all have to live all the time with people, yeah. right? So you can have safe and secure borders and be for that. And also we should have humane treatment of image bearers who are showing up at the border. I wonder if you could just speak to that for Talk a second, because us. just the elephant in the room, the moment you start talking about this, yes. is like, okay, Brie, are you not advocating for wall. open borders mm-hmm. and lawlessness in our country and all of that? But that's certainly not what you're doing. Can you help us just when you think about responsible public policy Yes, with the issue of immigration. What are kind of like your key talking points on that? Well, you know, uh, Eugene Cho is a, has become a good friend and mentor of mine, and he wrote this really good book called Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, How Do Christians Engage <laughs> <laughs> in Politics? Pretty straightforward. <laughs> Don't be the jerk. First rule. And it was— it was a book that really freed me up because I was always kind of brought up, and I think probably most of us were, to vote straight ticket a certain way every four years. Mm-hmm. And that was the best way you could bring the kingdom of God to, right. to earth was to vote in very conservative ways. And I'm not saying that I have radically voting like different voting mm-hmm. behaviors and whatnot, but what I learned from Eugene Cho was it's actually— the years in between that matter. It's your voice that matters. And the Bible does tell us in Proverbs that we are to speak up for mm-hmm. those who cannot speak mm-hmm. for themselves. And so in this day and age in America, in order to change things, policies affect people. Mm-hmm. And so people with power have to use their voice to help change policy that affect vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. And so he was saying, your vote's going to be imperfect. I don't care who you vote for. And that's a radical idea to think that who mm-hmm. you're voting for might be. You might be like, I don't love this, but this is a pretty dang good vote. Right. You know, It's always going to be imperfect because there's no platform right now. And this was a radical idea to me as well. There's no platform right now that really encompasses right. the whole mm-hmm. of the gospel. We're piecemealing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so so that really freed me up to say, all right, I'm going to vote for this person. And then in the years in between, it, 
I'm going to be using my voice to say, hey, I voted for you, and you're weak on this. Hey, mm-hmm. I voted for you, yes. and this isn't this isn't a part of your platform. Why aren't you talking about this? I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm conservative. I voted for you. I need to see you or lead on this. Or you're not delivering on what you said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That I got need you to in the office. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I think we have to be using our voice. And we don't have to do it in a partisan way, and we don't have to demonize other people who are voting differently than us, but we should be on the same page as believers about what we are speaking up for. And it can't just be one issue. Mm-hmm. can't just be the preborn, mm-hmm. you know, because we have scriptural justification throughout the whole of Scripture that mm-hmm. it's every vulnerable person yeah. that we should be speaking up for. So those with us have the privilege. So you should. told us early on your journey from— Fighting for the baby in the womb, mm-hmm. which led you to the foster care system where children were languishing. Mm-hmm. Still Born are, children, yeah. ready yeah. to be helped, and the church wasn't yeah. helping. We have 400,000 kids that are in and out of the system. 100,000 of that 400 have no parental rights attached to them. Wow. So I'll just say this. So you have 100,000 kids throughout ready the U.S. who have— Because the other 300,000 are working through a re- reunification plan. Mm-hmm. So you have 100,000 kids— who have no parental rights attached to them. You know how many churches we have in the U.S.? Oh, 300,000. 300, oh. If one family from every third church adopted a child out of foster care, we would wipe out the long backlog of kids. Yeah. Anyways, keep going. And on. this Jeez. woman yeah. has done what she just said. Wow. And I was in the courtroom when the gavel was struck. Don't make me cry. <laughs> Don't make me cry. And so she's not pointing a finger. She's telling you about her story. Hmm. So... Fighting for babies in the womb, being introduced to the foster care system. You go on a trip to Oaxaca. The Holy Spirit grabs your attention, mm-hmm. messes your life up in all the right ways. Yeah. What are the other dimensions of a holistic, a pro-life uh, ethic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, uh, who mm-hmm. else are we talking about? Well, I mean, being pro-life holistically means that you it's a way of looking at life that transcends culture, class, race, Mm -hmm. age, ability, and opinion, Mm -hmm. because we know that each and every person is made in the image of God. So if we see that, I mean, being pro-life is like a huge web. It's like as soon as you get close to the preborn issue, you start to see, oh, okay, there are issues and challenges with adoption, and then you figure out foster care, and you're like, whoa, you have all these kids mm-hmm. waiting. And then when you figure out when kids who aren't adopted out of foster care, how 20,000 kids a year age out of the system, right. and there's a pipeline for them. We know where they go. They're either homeless, they become part of the mental illness uh-huh. world, they are in prison, or they become susceptible to human trafficking. Yeah, so we look mm-hmm. at that pipeline, and then all of a sudden, now I got to care about prison ministry. Right. I got to care about homelessness. I have to care about trafficking. So then you like branch out into those, and you're like, wow, there's racial issues. I mean, yep. I thought immigration, when I showed up about immigration, it was like, you're here illegally, not illegally. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the system mm-hmm. and the history, and you're like, well, this has a lot to do with race. Right. Oof. This is very convicting, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then you're thinking about what are other race issues? And then Mm -hmm. you think you start, when you're doing prison ministry, you notice the makeup of everyone who's in prison. You're like, why is there a disproportionate amount of people who don't look like me Mm -hmm. in prison? And why Mm -hmm. are they staying so long and longer than other people? And all the, so then you, and then you get into like elder care and Mm -hmm. you get into disabilities and people who have these really special needs and they're not typical, but they're beautifully atypical. And they they want to be known in their disability. You know, and so you just 
everything is just so connected, but you have to get close. And yes. I think it's so hard when you are sitting in the back of the bus. You have yes. to get close. I, that's, Proximity that's my, is powerful. That's my question for you. I'm thinking about, you know what I love about um, your story here is that how elegant and graceful it was on the like the Holy Spirit, somebody said to me one time as a gentleman, it just doesn't bully. <laughs> I love that. It just, doesn't, it just that. doesn't bully. Yeah. You know, like meets you where you're at and gives yeah. you the experiences and the information that you need mm-hmm. to like unfold a really elegant journey. So, and your book is that way. Like yes. your book is not like a diatribe. It's invitation. Yeah, you're not whacking us over the head. It's it's called, it starts with welcome and your book is welcoming. So I'm thinking about the person that's kind of starting at a zero in this conversation, you know, yeah. and they're like, look, I'm open hearted. <laughs> I'm open hearted about this, but I'm a little afraid. I don't know where to begin. Talk to us maybe about, I mean, the book itself is a great educational experience, but maybe just talk about what kinds of steps they might take to going, beginning to go on this journey. Well, I think first and foremost, we have to really, for this issue in particular, I think more than most, is you immediately when you hear immigration, you, like we said earlier, it's like your blood, you know, your blood mm-hmm. pressure goes up. You just, and then we start to kind of retreat into what our political um, safety net is. It's like, well, I believe this. It's it's either legal or illegal, or I, you know. And so you kind of retreat into this instead of leaning in with curiosity yes. Yes. about why are so many people coming, mm-hmm. and and holding the tension of both and as you walk into this space is going to be really important. And I think in any human dignity space, because two things can be true at the same time. Multiple things can be true at the same time. It can be true that there are bad actors showing up at the border and thank God for border patrol um, that are knowing what's coming in and out of our country. And it's also true that there are women and children and families that are also showing up. Mm -hmm. And so it's, both things can be true. So it's like, all right, we need to keep the bad people out, but we need to have a valve for people who are seeking refuge. Mm-hmm. And this is a very big, true thing. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is, is okay, it doesn't have to be so black and white because it actually isn't so black and white. So walking into it with, I can walk in with fear. So I lead this organization called Women of Welcome. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always say is you can show up messy, but we're not going to leave you that way. Mm-hmm. Ask your messy question, <laughs> but we're going to disciple mm-hmm. you into a better conversation. And I don't have an agenda, but I'm, you know, I don't want to take you from point A to point Z, but I'm not going to leave you where you are. Mm-hmm. So you might show up and say, well, all those illegals are doing fill in the blank. I say, talk to me about that. Yeah. And so you start asking questions and you stay curious and you it's important to remain charitable mm-hmm. because you want to be Christ-like. I mean, that's the goal for all of us, right? So the person who is showing up messy or the person who's saying things in a different way, it's you want to be Christ-like towards them. So you're even in your advocacy for vulnerable people, you can be so passionate that you feel justified in the way that yeah. you dialogue with people. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not justifiable, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you can walk in with fears and that's totally I have to be honest, I still have fears. I'll give you sure. a perfect yeah. example of this. So mm-hmm. two weeks ago, so you know, we still see the crowds continuing to come to the southern border. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing as a country politically concerning immigration is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. What we're doing in our faith concerning immigration is unsustainable right now in the ways that we are just falling completely short on that and addressing the issue. Um, but there was a couple of weeks ago, there was a Border Patrol alert that there were a, there were several dozen that were on the terror watch list that were being apprehended at the border. And so everybody was like, we have to shut the border. We have to close the border. We have to do that. We have to keep ourselves safe and whatnot. And we have seen what 
happens when we actually close the border. We did this in World War II, mm-hmm. where we shut our borders because Nazi was just right, right, the Nazi right. regime was just growing, and everybody was getting really fearful. Mm-hmm. And we had boats of Jewish people that came to the shore. Mm-hmm. And they came to the shore, and they got turned away mm-hmm. about a dozen times up the shore as they made their way up. And they said, you need to have proper documentation, right, and you right, need right. to go back. And and what we have is documented evidence of those people dying, oh, yeah. a good portion of those people dying in concentration camps. And oh. so we can't just—we have to have a safety valve for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can have thorough vetting, and also you can have valves for people, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like— We've settled over 3 million refugees here in the U.S., and not one has committed a right, domestic right, right, care. Right, so it's right. like our vetting, yep. I mean— It's very thorough. It's very thorough. Like, And it's not that it's perfect, but it's pretty darn it's good. Pretty good. And so the fact that we <clears throat> see right. fears coming to the border, it's totally fine for me to be like, that's scary. Yeah. I need to talk with some policy people up in D.C. and be like, yeah. are we all—like, what? A, what's the accuracy in all of this? What's true about this? And hold those things in tension. So mm-hmm. I would say show up with your fears. You mm-hmm, don't have to mm-hmm. ditch them mm-hmm. because I've been doing this for about six, seven years, right. and I still have them. Right. But stay curious. Bree, in the sections of the book that I've read so far, it's, it's coming out soon. In the sections of the book uh, that I've read so far— it can be like you, you spoke about the web of all of the different issues. And I'm thinking through the listener who's going, oh, my gosh, that's just too much. It's too much. Yeah. So what I've what I've seen you do is you help us think through, like, where are the burdens that the Lord's given us? Mm-hmm. What what passion has the Lord given us? So you mm-hmm. don't have to do it all. Do the thing that you or can do. the couple things that the Lord has broken your heart about. Mm-hmm. So like pay attention to the passion that God has put in your heart. Just in my own experience, who's the person or the people that the Lord has sent my way? Mm-hmm. You, weren't, you weren't looking and a, a, a child came to you. I mean, you had kind of opened your heart, but it yeah. happened fast. I remember... Getting a call from you. I'm at Eugene Peterson's house. Oh, yeah. And there's this baby being born. We got to get to the hospital. We don't have a crib. We don't have a car seat. We Nothing. got rid of all that stuff, right? <laughs> but the, this, the person came to you, God. Mm-hmm. So pay attention to the people in front of you. And then use the power that you have. That's good. And um, so I can't do it all. None of us can do it all. But there are people that the Lord's put in front of us. We have passions. And yeah. we, we all have Power. Well said. And and there's a gal, when I showed up here with Lisa 18 years ago, we met a gal in the church named Karen, and she was from Central America, and she was pregnant with twin boys years and years ago and illegally crossed the border mm-hmm. because she thought, I don't have any health care, and it's dangerous down here. I'm going to get my babies to America. And wouldn't you? And wouldn't I? Yeah. And so she did, and she started working as a house cleaner. And she paid taxes for 16 years. Yep. Like she was doing it mm-hmm. right. She wasn't mm-hmm. hiding. She she worked to get a social security number. Yeah, our and, government gives those things to immigrants because they know that they're contributors. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, so even she, if they're here illegally, here illegally, they do that. They give her a social security number and she's paying taxes for 16 years. Right, but she doesn't see, receive any of the benefits exactly. of those taxes. Exactly. But, yeah. mm-hmm. So she's got her two boys and Matthew and Daniel and yeah. just stand up men who are now both in our US military. Mm. And because wow. when they became 18, they were able to become grown men in the system and they took their mother to the courthouse. Whoa. And she became a citizen after 16 years and we were there and we were Balling. sobbing. Along the way though, 
our church, she, she'd have her tires go out and she's driving all over kingdom come cleaning houses and doesn't have money to. So yeah. we, we spent 800 bucks. This was 10 yeah. years ago, bought her four new tires. She's sobbing. Mm-hmm. She'd go clean a house for $150 and bring up $15 tithe yeah. up to the church straight away from the house to the church and mm-hmm. say, pastor, I just wanted to give this to the Lord and say, I trust him for my provision. Like friends, what passion do you have? What people has God sent your way? And mm-hmm. will you leverage the power that you have, limited though it may be, if we all would take the, the agency that we have, we, mm-hmm. we don't have to wait for the government to fix this. Mm-hmm. They're not going to. Mm-hmm. But if we would take the agency that we have, we'll be, we'll be in close proximity and we'll see the kingdom come. So talk to us about yeah. How do we start small we start? right here? Well, the beautiful thing is we're the body of Christ, right? So, you know, the eye can't say the hand, mm, I don't need yeah. you or not. But so it's like we all have a function, right? We're all doing something and we're not all supposed to do the same thing. So mm. my passion doesn't have to be your passion mm, and your passion doesn't have to be mine. But God has given you experiences. Mm. He's given you place. He's given you power. He's given you authority. He has given you all of these things so that you could start looking for the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, it's not like the hand is supposed to say to the eye, I don't need you. I am of a higher priority as you or more than you. You know, you're not, you can't, it's like you can't walk around without a foot, right? But what's important is that all of us know what's happening in the body mm-hmm. so that if the hand is getting more resources, but the foot is languishing, it's like we're transferring the funds down yeah, or we're yeah. doing, so it's like, think about it as a human body. Like we all have to be connected in order for us to do this well. Mm-hmm. And we can't be saying this is a lower priority because Jesus doesn't say that it's a lower priority. Like, what is your biblical justification for saying that's not as important? It might feel scary to you. It might feel progressive to you. But my challenge is, is that you would just get proximate to people. You can't understand this stuff until you decide to get close. And a lot of times I'm pulling people into this, but I what I've learned very quickly is that I'm not the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times you have to go alone. I I remember like my first year back coming back from Oaxaca and I was just trying to find my footing and how this fit with my faith. And there were several in my small group who were having conversations about me. Like, have you seen what Bree is like posting and mm. saying recently? Like, can you believe, I bet you she's gone so liberal. She feels mm-hmm. super progressive. Mm. And to me, Man, that like really cut. Yeah. yeah, that would hurt. Because they're in my small group. I'm yeah. doing life with these people. And I literally was like, but they know me. Right. Why would they say that about me? Mm-hmm. But it was this issue. Mm-hmm. And it might be jumping into racial reconciliation mm-hmm. or criminal justice reform mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. And people will say, and you're like, I'm just, I'm trying to remain curious and get close enough to people that I understand pain that I don't feel in a new way. And a lot of the Christian church in America is about preserving and protecting yourself from pain. So we've Mm -hmm. all curated these little safe lives, and we're all, honestly, so many of us are just like navel-gazing at our own lives. It's just like mm-hmm. my kids, my my their sports, my husband's job, my job, the house. I got to redecorate. I got to. I've got to redo. I've got all these things. I mean, aren't we sick of the neck pain of navel gazing yet? Mm-hmm. I mean, aren't we just like dying on the vine? I mean, we watch what's happening in the Middle East right now, and we're like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. There is power in prayer, but there is also power in proximity. Mm -hmm. There are over 100 million forcibly displaced people roaming around the globe right now. 32 million of them are refugees. 
They need sponsorship. They need welcome to a safe place. Only less than 1% of the world's refugees will ever be considered for resettlement. Mm. Less than 1%. Mm. What can you do? You can help bring a family to safety. You and your Bible study, you and your small group, your church Mm -hmm. can actively sponsor multiple families and bring them to the U.S. Refugees don't get to decide where they get resettled. And most of them, the average stay for a refugee in a resettlement camp is 17 years. Right. Can you imagine wow, having Jesus. a baby? I know you've been wow, to camps Jesus. and wow. like, can you imagine having a baby and that baby's 17 and then you finally get to go somewhere, but you don't get to choose where. Right. So I pulled, so, you know, when we went through the adoption process, I pulled my small group into foster care and we were like, we're going to do this. And everyone was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I don't really know what to do either, but we're just going to show together. up. Yeah, we're going to learn right. together. And now my small group, along with a couple other people, we're going to do refugee resettlement. And we have signed up to re- to sponsor a family to come. And we, I don't, I this is my space. I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to try and get close enough to where it just wrecks my world some more yeah. on purpose so that I'm not a sterile follower yes. mm-hmm. and that I don't know what's going on. Bree, thank you for writing this book. So the book is, it starts with welcome. It's available for pre-order, I think next month in November. November 1st. And then goes on sale, it releases in February. And I I said, to, I said to my congregation this past weekend that the most oft-repeated biblical command is do not fear. And this is a conversation where there's a lot of fear in it. And I think what you've modeled for us is a fearlessness, yeah. you know, or at least a courage. Sometimes courage, courage I was is, like, I'm it, probably courage, the most friend, fearful person. Yeah, yeah, I'm very I think it was Stanley Hallowas who said something like, courage is not having no fears. It's being willing to act in spite of your fears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think more of us need to do that. But we also need wise guides who help us. Yeah. And so what you, the gift that you've given us in this book is that you've demystified the conversation some. You've given us biblical and theological tools for thinking about it, mm-hmm. and you've given us a ton of great information for thinking about it more practically. So I, I trust it that this is. resource is going to go far and wide. I hope you all will buy it, read it, digest it, share it with your friends. But thanks for being with us, Bree, and thank you for this tremendous gift. Thank you for having me. Thank you.